Okay, happy Easter, Cross Point. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Yes, the same is true today as it was last week. In fact, the church meets on Sunday to say there is an empty tomb. To say that on that day, we were surprised. Surprised at what God had done. Even though he told us it was going to happen, we were surprised when he did it because we struggled to believe. But then he did something remarkable. He sealed the deal by making it inescapable that Christ is risen. And 2,000 years later, the church is saying the same thing. The church is believing the same thing. And in reality of what God has done, we proclaim the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. Christ is risen. Happy Easter. So today, we come and we wrap up the book of Hebrews. We're, uh, we've been 24 weeks in this series. I, I find it a little funny. I almost chuckled a bit when we read that part where he said, I've written to you briefly. Um, he's a preacher, right? He thinks it was short, but it wasn't. And 13 chapters later, 24 weeks of our study And God is bringing this word to bear in our lives. And today my prayer is, is that we remember this word of exhortation, not just for today, but that we carry it with us in our lives, that we remember that Jesus is greater than anything else that this world has to offer. And today we're brought to the reality of that greatness. I want to celebrate for a moment we often don't pause to celebrate some of the things that God has done. And so last week we had Easter Sunday. Uh, it's my third Easter here with Crosspoint Downtown, our fir- fifth Easter all together as a church. And it was our largest attended church service uh, in our history. So, yeah, that's worth celebrating. Uh, we had 145 people, 40 of which were kids. And uh, so that's the most kids we've ever had uh, in our services. And, um, and this week, some of our children will even get baptized, those who have came to faith in Jesus Christ. We have a baptism that's going to take place today. I woke up this morning and I said, Alexa, what's the weather going to be like at 2 p.m. in Cocoa Beach? Partly cloudy with a 30% chance of rain. And so, um, so I ask that you join us. It will be a fun time together as we celebrate uh, new life in Jesus Christ, to watch our brothers and sisters who have come to faith and encourage them and spur them along and come alongside of them in their journeys. So uh, I am really excited about um, the things that are ahead. When we were in community group last week, there was a a gentleman in the group who shared just, uh, I thought it was an astute observation about the church. He said, said, you know, Pastor Ryan, he said, "The, the church is maturing And we feel that. And and when you're in the thick of it, right, it's hard to to see the maturity that's beginning to take place in your family. Like I know with my kids, oftentimes I'm like, I feel like they're regressing. I don't know if they're like doing any better than they are, but then I get them around my family who haven't seen them for a while. And they said, you know, Camden's a really good boy. Really? You didn't see him yesterday, did you? Uh, but then I take a step back and I look and I say, you know what? God has done something. And, and, I, and I look at this church and I, and I feel the, this maturing that has taken place 
in us. And it's been hard fought. Maturity is not easy. Maturity takes time. It takes patience. Oftentimes we're beating our head against the wall thinking, when is this going to be different? When is this going to be getting better? And, and I know I've, done, I've logged hundreds of hours in premarital counseling. And, and one of the things that I know before the couple even knows that I'm doing the premarital counseling with is that there is nothing to prepare them for what's ahead. Right? For your marriage, if you're parenting, there's nothing to prepare you for what's ahead. Even your careers, nothing can prepare you for what's ahead in this life. And, and that's why we need help following after God. We need that help. And the big idea of this sermon today is that God has put leaders in your life. God has put leaders in our church to help you follow after God. Now, now I say that because I'm one of those leaders. And like being a husband and being a father, there's a great deal of responsibility that I feel as I minister these words. There's a great sense of inadequacy that I'm aware of as I share these words. Because here's the reality is I need help following God just as much as you do. I don't have all the answers all the time. In fact, many of the times where I realize that we are walking, we need to grow in maturity, it's because of my own growth in maturity. But that is something that God has chosen for His church, not just with me here today, but throughout the history of the church. You might remember when the tomb was empty, the disciples were nowhere to be found because they had run for their lives. They left God. On that tree. But it was Jesus that went and found them. And he breathed in his life into them. And he breathed in his confidence in them. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I give you my Holy Spirit. And he told Peter these words. He told Peter these words. On this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the church is here today by imperfect leaders that God has called to do His perfecting work by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you need leaders to help you follow. You need leaders to help you follow. And this passage is going to help us see that. I, I, I want to I kind of let you live in my world for a minute. There's a, a book called uh, liberating ministry from from success syndrome. <laughs> uh, there's a, a syndrome that happens with pastors. Believe it or not, this is the dirty little secret. We're always wanting to see this new level of success. We always want to see these things that, that, that make us feel good about ourselves because part of our problem is we get I, our identity in what we do instead of what Christ has done. That's, that's just point blank, like something I struggle with. Thinking that my worth and value comes from what I do here versus what Christ has done. Now, there's a man, his name's Kent Hughes, early on in ministry. He recounts this story of his own life. He says, Beginning a new church is exhausting work, and we went for it with all we had. I found myself attending meetings, strategizing, canvassing, counseling, preparing sermons, and borrowing pianos, pianists, projectors, and pulpits. Then came the Sunday ritual of preparing the rented facilities for worship service 
sweeping out the trash from the community center, helping unload the big storage trailer containing the pulpit, microphones, hymnals, rugs, rockers, and playpins, and then in the evening working in happy Christian friendship with the entire congregation to disassemble and pack up our church for another week. Man, somebody else knows. Like, woo, this is a, this is a book on me. From the start, we had everything going for us. We had prayers and predictions of our friends who believed a fast-growing work was inevitable. We had the sophisticated insights of the science of church growth. We had superb nucleus of believers. And we had me, a young pastor with a good track record who was entering his prime and with good looks, if you're, you know, we, we expected to grow. But to our astonishment and resounding disappointment, we didn't. In fact, after considerable time and incredible labor, we had fewer regular attenders than when we had first started six months ago. Our church was shrinking, and the prospects look really, really bad. So as I walked up my driveway on this hot summer day in 1975, after more than a decade of ministry, I began to lose my equilibrium, my long-established world of success and bright prospects had melted around me. It was the deepest, darkest depression of my life. My memory of this time is of gray, a gray horizonless sea. A faint life fails from the threatening sky. And I'm treading water alone. I'm sinking. Soon I'll be below the surface. Melodramatic to be sure. But that's how I felt and I wanted out. Seeing Barbara smile through the screened door, I brightened as always. And for the next few hours, I was preoccupied with my happy young family. But after dinner, when the children went to bed, despondency crept over me once again. Except for my wife, it seemed that no one cared. And on this hot summer's midnight soul, I was ready to talk. Pastor Kent Hughes has become one of the most accessible and readable commentary writers that we have today. In fact, many of the commentaries that I read help me prepare for my sermons. And it's reading this story that allows me to see that I'm not alone and that God is helping me. And that God, through you even, brings encouragement, brings help when I need it most, and brings ministry to my own souls. One of the great dangers that I face, that you should be aware of, is that I face this tendency to think that I don't need God. Right? That I can do it on my own strength. And that's one of the most unnerving things, is we think that I don't need God, and I could do it on my own strength. There's an author who says, all you need in the Christian life is need. All you need is need. And God comes to us in that point of need. And that's what He's doing in the church of Hebrews. This Jewish Christian church who had come to a point of conversion, belief in Jesus Christ, having faith in Him, saw that it wasn't as easy as they thought. Saw that it was going to be harder than they anticipated. When they were ostracized from their community, when they were put out of the temple, this place of worship that had grown familiar to them, it grown cold because no one wanted them there. They weren't welcome. But their faith in Christ compelled them to continue 
to meet together in worship, to continue to pray together. And God had risen up a generation of leaders to see that the church was established in faith for years to come. I thank God for that little Hebrew church that God used because we see the evidence of their endurance in Jesus Christ by faith. And we need that today. In the world today, spiritual leadership is misunderstood. Spiritual leadership is even looked down upon. Why do we need spiritual leaders? Why is it important? And some of the reasons are are good reasons. Let me give you five reasons why spiritual leadership is misunderstood. Number one is because there's been abuse. Pastors have abused their God-given responsibility and wielded over their church a heavy burden that should not be carried because of their own selfishness. To use the church for themselves is what many have been guilty of. And chances are, you know of a church or you've been a part of a church where that spiritual leadership has been abused. Maybe you yourself have been abused. And so when we talk about spiritual leadership, it causes you to to cringe or maybe even have a feeling of despondency and depression because you know someone has mistreated you and they've used the Bible to do so. That's something that is not, not what God has planned. There was a woman who came into my office one Sunday after church. It was was one Sunday after church. It was her first Sunday. She had not been in church for 10 years. She later told me that she needed to meet. And so after that that time she came, I could tell that God was stirring something in her, but I, I remember continuing to feel like there was this weight upon her. She was in her late 30s. She was an air traffic controller at the Orlando International Airport. On the outside, it looked like she had everything together, but inside there's this wasting feeling that kept on creeping up that she knew was there. And so she met with me, and she said, I really have a hard time trusting God. I said, why do you have a hard time trusting God? And she said, because my ex-husband abused me. I said, well, well, tell me more about that story. So she told me more about the story of this ex-husband who abused her. And when they were dating and they were engaged, everything looked like it was going well. He seemed to be a godly man. He knew his Bible. But later she would tell me that this man used those verses to manipulate her, to abuse her, and to cause her to feel as if God didn't even exist. Because if God is like him, I want no part of him. And so she came on this Sunday and she started to see something different and she couldn't reconcile it with this abusive ex-husband. But later on, she began to regain trust in God. And as she regained trust in God, she regained trust in the leadership of the church. And as she regained trust in the leadership of the church, her countenance began to change. And and she started to, to begin to have her life changed by the power of the gospel. And I was able to watch this woman grow in a short period of time. And later she moved and she later wrote me a letter of gratitude for that meeting But that meeting for me was one of the heartbreaking moments because as a young minister, 
I'd never seen a level of spiritual abuse like I saw that woman endure. But I also never saw God go to such great lengths to show her that that man had wronged her. And it was evil and wicked. And he wanted no part of it. He showed her that. And God does that. If you've been through spiritual abuse, if you've been through abuse where someone has manipulated the scriptures in your life for their own advantage, God wants to regain your trust. Not because he's lost it, but because he shows you that he's worth it. He's worth all of your trust. Spiritual leadership is misunderstood because disunity. Disunity weaves into the fabric of the church and causes chaos. Many of you have been through church splits over the color of a carpet, over this type of worship style that you're doing in the church. But there's not an agreement that we're here to point people to Jesus and it's not about us. Where factions are developed and people begin to follow other people than Christ. Spiritual leadership is misunderstood because leaders sometimes are appointed that don't meet the biblical qualifications for leadership. The book of the Bible tells us that there are qualifications to be a leader, and those qualifications are primarily character qualifications. That it's not how your business acumen has made you a good leader. It's not a worldly dynamic in that, but it's about how God has stirred your heart towards Him, and He's forged into you a Christ-like character. Even this morning I was talking to somebody who, who said that, you know, something about the millennial generation causes us to look into someone and wonder, is this real? Is this authentic? Inauthentic and unaccountable leadership causes us to mistrust the church. Fourthly, one of the reasons why people misunderstand spiritual leadership is because they're simply not following God. It's hard to understand leadership in a biblical way if you're not falling after God. It's hard to understand why God would work through imperfect people to bring about His redeeming work if you're not following God. And to follow after God is an important thing for us. And then finally, hard hearts. We misunderstand spiritual leadership because our hearts are hard and we don't think that we need God's leadership in our lives. Sometimes we think that Lone Ranger Christianity is the way to go. It seems easy. But at the end of the day, we find ourselves isolated. I've seen lots of people come and go from the church. You know what I've never seen as people have left the church? I've never seen someone grow in their faith in Christ. Never. I've seen people leave the church altogether and say they don't want any part of it and think that somehow God is going to work in their hearts and lives in a more significant way. And you know what God shows them? You need the church as messy, as broken, as torn apart as sometimes she is, it is still His work that unites her and brings about redemption in the lost and broken world. I want to answer three questions in our time together. One one is, who are the leaders? Who are the leaders that God has called to lead in the church? Number two, what is the purpose of their leadership? Why is their leadership important? Why is it important that I follow them? 
And then number three, how am I to respond to the leaders? So let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The author says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Who are the leaders that the author here is referring to? Well, if you open your Bible, you see that there is a God-prescribed ecclesiology. There's a structure of the church and how the church relates to the world that's important for us to look at. And that God-prescribed structure is what we are called to follow. And the structure is that the leaders of the church are the elders. They're called the elders. If you look with me, if you open your Bibles, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is an important passage to look at who these elders are. And what's required of them? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder, it could be used as well, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. This is the prescription that God gives us for eldership, and it's in the man's character. An elder is a man whom God has called. It's in the economy of God that men are called to lead. And I know that that sometimes what I say, it might come as a... It might come with, with a little bit of cringing in your life because it might sound like chauvinism. But listen to me when I say this, that when God prescribes leadership, He does it for your good so that you can get a glimpse of Himself. There is submission and obedience found all the way through the Scriptures. In fact, you see that in the Trinity, the unity of the Godhead, that the Son submits to the Father, that the Spirit submits to the Son, And that there's this beautiful work of redemption that happens there. And what's important with men who lead you, that God has qualified them, and He's qualified them by His work in their life. One of the dangers that we face in following spiritual leaders is that you might follow someone who does not genuinely know or been converted by Christ. How can you tell that? Well, the qualifications here say it really well. That there is in the character, the fruit of the Spirit that's given in a man who is called to lead the church. And there's a high calling for these men. And the high calling for the men of leadership is to keep watch over your souls. That's a weighty word. One of the fears that I have is 
being able to care for my own family. I have young children. Who knows how my, my household will be managed as I grow old? Who knows if they go off on their own way and they leave the Lord and walk away from Him? Do, do you know that's a scary thought, but do you know what that breathes in me? A kind of confidence that says, I need God more than I ever thought. And instead of parenting my children out of fear and trying to control them, I parent them out of a dependence and desperation that if God doesn't come through, I'm through. That's the kind of men that God has called to lead here at Cross Point Downtown. If God doesn't come through for us, I'm through. Men who will sacrifice the the idea of success and privilege and power for the sake of service. I want to see men here who would be willing to go the extra mile when you are going through a time of hardship, when your marriage is in a place of brokenness, when your children are at a place of disobedience, when your career seems to be in jeopardy, that, they will, that you will have men and women that come alongside of you because leadership has been cultivated in the church that says you matter to God, so therefore you matter to us. Do you see that the church is not about buildings or sound systems or budgets, but the church is about people. The call of an elder is to keep watch over your souls. Who in your life is doing that outside of you? Well, thank God he's given you leaders. Oftentimes, some of the meetings that Josiah and I have are meetings that is keeping guard over your souls, watching for the care of the flock. I'm an elder here at Cross Point downtown. Josiah is an elder candidate who is going through an interview process here soon to become an ordained elder, but functionally he's been an elder alongside of me for a long time. He's a man whom I dearly respect and trust. He's a man who's had, had hard conversations with me and has pastored me, and I continually need him to invest in my life. Currently, we are raising up elder candidates, men that we are testing to see if this is something that is good for them and good for the church, because we want to see godly men continue to be raised up to help us in this redemptive journey called the church. One man can't do it. There needs to be what's called a plurality of elders, multiple men whom God has called to lead the church together so that one person doesn't derail it, because that's a danger. Any person could derail the ministry of the gospel in the church, but we need multiple people that will help us, people that are first driven by a love for God, people that are driven by a love for the people of God. And we also see in eldership in 1 Peter chapter 4, if you'd turn with me there, The Apostle Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, in a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Do you know what the message of Peter is trying to convey to the elders? He says, the church is not yours. 
You are but an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ. What's really important about the shepherds of the church is that we realize that we're first a sheep. You know, we all put our pants on the same way, one leg at a time, right? And it's true of us for the church, is that there is nobody that has any more significance than anybody else. Whether you're serving as a volunteer or it's obscurity or you have a place on the pulpit, every member carries a full weight of significance that's not above anyone else. And an elder realizes that. They know that they're but a humble servant of God and His church, and they seek to love them and keep watch over their souls because they know, listen, they know they're to give an account. As a husband, I'm to give an account for my wife and my children because I'm responsible for them. They share in that responsibility, but the buck stops with me. My leadership could help them flourish or it could cause them to disintegrate into chaos. And I must be very careful. The same is true of the church. I am responsible for your spiritual care and well-being to make sure that you get a healthy dose of the diet of Scripture, that you would fall more in love with this man, Jesus. And so as I watch over your soul, it's important that I do some soul care myself. And I've got some people pouring into me so that you can continue to grow in the grace of God and that I can continue to grow in the grace of God. And we need God's help with it. And so these are the leaders of the church. And over the next several months, you'll hear of more men that we are calling into elder candidacy to be elders in the next year. So we are a fully functioning, autonomous elder board. So that way, we have a plurality of elders that are making the decisions of this church, but also helping shepherd the flock that God has called us to. And it's necessary because our church is growing. God is growing more and more godly men and women to come alongside in leadership of the church. What is the purpose of this spiritual leadership? I will paraphrase. J.B. Phillips, he writes uh, a paraphrase of verse 17. He says, Obey your rulers and recognize their authority. They are like men standing guard over your spiritual good, and they have a great responsibility. Try to make their work a pleasure and not a burden. By doing so, you will help not only them, but yourselves. My question is, is do you see spiritual leadership for your good, for an advantage to yourself? That the ministry that takes place in the church is for your advantage. That there's something that is going to help you grow closer to God here. Remember I said spiritual leaders' call is to help you follow that day by day you receive the help that you need to follow. Cultivating that is our responsibility. Following that is your responsibility. The responsibility that you have to be a part of discipleship, to study the Scriptures with others. This morning we had women gathering to study the Bible and to ask God to help them as they relate to one another and they relate to Him in this life. Each week we have community groups that meet and the purpose of these community groups is to help you follow after Christ more fully, more completely, that you can't do it on your own. The purpose of spiritual leadership is for your advantage. 
And to the degree that you seek God's help in that is the degree that you will be advantaged more. You'll grow more. You'll see God's Holy Spirit pour into you new life and grace. It's to help you. It's to grow you. It's realizing that on our own we would simply drift away. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. In verse 7, the author implores the church to remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. You all have these people in your life that you remember, that come to mind, who spoke you the word of God. For me, it was my grandma Dot. She was one of the most instrumental leaders of my faith. She passed away when she was 71, but she had a vibrant faith. Her story is one where she got married to a man who didn't know Christ and was an alcoholic. It was an unbearable reality for her, and so she later divorced. Then she married another man who was not much better, was also an alcoholic and verbally abusive to her. And I remember as as I was growing up with Grandpa Bob, whose life later changed, just watching him and the way he treated her, and I thought, why? This should not be like this. But yet she endured some of the heartbreak and some of the pain of that. But she also was a woman who was steeped in the Word, and she allowed the Word of God to to speak into her life on the most mundane occasions. When she would cook, she had her Bible open. I thought it was like a recipe book. No, she's memorizing Scripture while she's cooking. And she was always a woman who was quick to speak the word of truth into my life when I needed it most. And the whole family, in fact, sometimes we thought it was a nuisance. We were just like, come on, Grandma, gee whiz, leave us alone. And then later she died, and we missed her. We missed her so deeply and so sorely. In fact, it was that that caused her ex-husband, or not her, her, her husband at that time, to convert to Christ. It was upon her death where he realized how much she meant to him, but also how real God was through her. And that was something that was missing in his life. And as well, after that point, the family saw the significance she had. Some of us saw the significance she had, and we remembered it, and we cherished it, and we asked God to grow it. Some of us saw it, and we have these warm, fuzzy feelings And we say, that was really good, but we push it aside. There's a danger that we have where we might see godliness in the leaders that God has called us that maybe have come and gone, but we push them aside and we don't receive it. That's when we don't allow the Word of God to fully work in our hearts. Because the Bible says that we are to watch the faith of those who spoke to you the word of God. And you are to imitate it. Do you know what honors my grandma's memory? Not looking at her faith and admiring it, but imitating it. This is what we are called to do to those whom God has placed in our life that have endured the test of time. They may have been... a a spiritual hero like a reformer or, or a preacher that's alive today. But friends, watch those whose life carried with it the weight of faith that endured the test 
of time. Those who finish the race well. Those are the people that you're called to follow. Those are the people that you're called to trust because we're all on this journey together. And you know what I want to help you do? I want to help you get to the finish line. We're going to be breathless. We're going to be limping. Some of us are going to be pushed in wheelchairs. But we are going to get to that finish line, church. And we are going to help one another do so. And this is for your good and for your advantage. And what is our response to be? Joy-filled following. Do you want to know what brings a joy to me and to what brings a joy to our leadership is when you follow joyfully and not begrudgingly. And here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, there are things that we know God has called us to bring in word of exhortation or an admonition in your life. And it's when you choose to say, I receive that word and I will follow you and I will walk in this for my good because I believe it's for my good and I will submit to that and trust you as I walk in this. That brings a joy to us. But when you reject the word of exhortation and you walk in a way that says, I don't care what you say, It's as if you have not just rejected us, but the admonition and the exhortation of the Lord. Now, here's what I say that. I don't say that I'm God speaking. But I am saying that there are some things that the Holy Spirit shows me about your life that will help you follow more closely and more lovingly to the Lord And those things I say with a great deal of trust and biblical authority. And that God has called you to walk in that. Whether it comes here as an exhortation from the pulpit or a one-on-one counseling meeting, the ministry of the Word should not return void. And you should see that we are keeping watch over your souls and help us guard that good deposit that the Holy Spirit had put in you. Your response is joy-filled obedience. And when that joy-filled obedience fills your heart, oh, it causes us as leaders to be filled with the same type of joy. Not groaning. Not groaning, not complaining. Not saying, oh man, Josiah, you don't know what it's like to work like with Josiah. Gee whiz. Just kidding. Josiah is amazing. But he and I, when we think about what God's doing in your life, may it bring us a joy. May it cause our hearts to leap. And may we see God discipling you and working in you to the advantage of others. It's not just about you. It's about you working in others. You see, Christianity that stops with you isn't Christianity because Jesus didn't stop with you. He kept going. And that's what he continues to do in our hearts and lives today. Second way that we can come alongside and respond to our leaderships is to pray, is to pray for them. The author here unreservedly asks for your prayers. We need your prayers. There's counseling. There's set up and tear down. There's getting volunteers for this, that, and the other. There's There's issues of our own family and our own lives. There's our own heart issues that we need to navigate. We need you to pray for us so that we can, as the author says, have a clear conscience 
so that God is fully at work in our lives. Here's what you can pray for us, and you can do it on a daily basis, that the same grace we preach is the same grace we believe. The same grace we preach is the same grace we know that we need, that we would never forget that. And that that grace that we preach, we would preach it as well to our families. You know how easy it is for me to come up and tell you that the grace of Jesus is lavish and there's nothing you can do to earn it, but then I go home to my kids and I say, earn my love, earn my love, earn my love. Pray for me that that doesn't happen because it's a real temptation on a day-to-day basis. I need God's grace to give me a clear conscience and transform every aspect and element of our lives that I would act on or really in all things. God would do a work in our church from the leadership. It's so important that God's at work in a leadership team here. And I want to ask very personally that you would continue those prayers and even cause them to be, be praying those prayers more earnestly. Because as people are being raised up, your prayers are needed and God is at work in your prayers. There is also, finally, a look here that the author gives us to the leader. It would be a very, very sad thing if I stood here and said I'm the leader, because I'm not. Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of this church. Jesus Christ is the one who leads this church. The moment we fail to take our cues from him is the moment this church fails and falls by the wayside. We might, we might continue to go and have this aura of, of fakeness to the world around us, but the moment we, want, we, 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 we stop taking our leadership cues from Christ is the moment that lives stop changing and the gospel is not heard or proclaimed, and the author of Hebrews proclaims us this gospel in the benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, God is building us. It's not attributed to any man, but the God of peace. God brought peace through his resurrection. Jesus, when he saw his disciples after assuming bodily form again, meets his disciples and he says, peace be with you. And he breathed on them his life. Peace. He is the shepherd who laid down his life for a sheep. I can be courageous not because of my courage, but because of his. Because he's the shepherd who keeps watch over my soul. He's the one who took the shepherd's staff and knocked the teeth out of the wolf because he said, you will not come near my beloved sheep. He laid down his life for the church. He is equipping us. Right now, He is equipping us. He is working in us this perfecting power that allows us to be the church that He has called us to be. The reason why that, that, that comment from my friend at our community group stuck so heavily with me is because it is God who's equipping us. He is the one who works 
in us to will his good pleasure, to bring pleasure to him. God does that work. And he also teaches us more fully to depend on him and not ourselves. That we would trust more fully in the risen Savior and not in our meager offerings, but trust in what he does and offer to him the fruit of our faith, our deep belief that confesses his name. And finally, the author says, bear with me this word of exhortation. I've spoken to you briefly. I don't even have a clock with me today, so I don't know how briefly I've spoken to you, but I've spoken to you briefly. Bear with this word of exhortation. And here's the word of exhortation for the church. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Is there something else that you are prone to say is greater than Jesus? Is there something else that, that, that you are giving your life for that's less valuable, less significant, and you come in here feeling that weight of insignificance? But if you look to the greatness of Christ, He'll breathe into you a significance. That Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than the sacrificial system. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that was given for all time, forever. There's no other sacrifices that can be made. Jesus is the perfect high priest. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, where we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I shared with you how sometimes I feel inadequate. I want to tell you that over the last several months of this study of Hebrews, this verse drawing near to that throne of grace has breathed God's new life into me where I've needed it most. The times where I felt like I need to press away from God, God says, nope, you need me more than you ever thought. Draw near. That's my question for you. Where do you need help following God today? The church wants to help you. And part of the reason why we do this service on Sunday mornings is to help you see that there's a throne of grace that you can draw near to. No matter how dirty your conscience may be, no matter what you've done yesterday, or maybe you think that God is unapproachable because of something you've done, do you know what God says to you in this moment? There is nothing that you can do that was going to stop what I have done for you from being fulfilled. That God forgives sin in the blood of the Lamb who was slain on the cross, Jesus Christ. So have faith in Him. Draw near. Don't have faith in yourself. Have faith in Christ. And as we as a church can come alongside of you, our leadership, our community group leaders, our staff, let us do so. Because we know But the greatest thing that can happen for any of us is we confess that we need God more than anything else.
Let's draw near to that throne together. God, thank you. Thank you that your grace is transformative. That God, right now, our hearts and lives can change. And all we have to do is come close. Help us come close. God, that the things that hinder us, the things that steal our focus, God, would you melt them away right now? God, the things that are on our heart that are burdening our souls, Lord, would you, would you give us rest in you? Would you take those burdens? You say my yoke is easy and my burden is light because you carry us when we can no longer walk. Father, help us follow you today. Help us endure in this faith. God, where the confession is not true in our lives, that Jesus is greater. God, make it true right now that we would be able to see it, that we would be able to say it, and that we would be able to savor it. We ask this as we take this bread, we dip it in the cup, and we receive the greatest meal ever. A meal that comes with receiving your broken body and shed blood, realizing that your forgiveness is full and final, that you are the God of peace, that you are the one who leads us. We trust you. We follow you. And the church says, amen. Ushers, would you come and lead us in this time of communion? For those of you who have trusted Jesus as your forgiver and leader and Lord, the communion table is open to you. We take the communion bread and we dip it in the cup as a reminder of what Christ has done and that which we could not. So would you stand? And when you're ready, you can file down the aisles and take communion together.